Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. This video monologue is scheduled for initial release on the 4th of July, 2018. Now, I know many people will watch on other dates, but uh, it seems as if most people actually watch these monologues the very day that they're released. Who knows? That could change over time. Uh, but I want to talk today about uh, some circumstances associated with the 4th of July. It's an interesting date in history, obviously to Americans, because it is the uh, considered Independence Day, the day of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson, who also died on the 4th of July. And uh, not only did Jefferson, the third president of the United States, die on the 4th of July in 1826, but on that very same day, five hours later, John Adams, the second president of the United States, passed away. And John Adams' final words were, Jefferson still survives. <laughs> How unusual. First of all, people say, no, he was wrong. Jefferson had preceded him by five hours. But then there is the possibility that John Adams was actually having a deathbed vision of his own and knew that Jefferson was there on the other side to welcome him because, as I've reported in a number of uh, interviews, people have deathbed visions where close friends and relatives and loved ones are waiting for them on the other side. And sometimes they're very surprised because they didn't know that person had died. But obviously, if the person is waiting for them on the other side, are they really dead? <laughs> not, not in any permanent sense, one would think. Well, and yet, we know that Jefferson and Adams were political rivals, in fact, bitter political rivals. So, how is it that, uh, assuming for the moment that Jefferson was on the other side to greet Adams as he died, and that's why Adams remarked, Jefferson still survives? <laughs> the opposite of the meaning normally attributed to that phrase. But an interesting thing is this. Adams had previously expressed his love for Jefferson in spite of their bitter, bitter political rivalry. You see, Adams was the second president of the United States, and at that time, the person who gathered the second greatest number of electoral votes became the vice president. So, Jefferson served as Adams' vice president, even though they were, in effect, from different political parties. Adams was a Federalist. He was a New Yorker who believed in a strong financial system and strong federal government. Jefferson was a member of what was then known as the Democratic-Republican Party, mostly based in the South, and it was a party that wanted a weak federal government, not so different from the Republican Party of today. So, during Adams' presidency, Jefferson, who was his vice president, uh, did things to undermine him, spreading 
rumors paying yellow journalists to write articles to the effect that Adams wished to crown himself king. And when Adams ran for re-election, Jefferson opposed him and Jefferson won. Adams was very bitter about it because of the yellow journalism involved, because he didn't get to uh, complete a second term or even enter into a second term of office. It's kind of humiliating when you're the president of the United States not to be reelected. I know Jimmy Carter suffered from some emotional issues when that occurred to him. And so did John Adams. He was very bitter. And furthermore, because at that time, the United States Constitution uh, counted the black slaves in the South as three-fifths of a person, even though they didn't get to vote, uh, had that not occurred, uh, it turns out that Adams would have won the election. Well, that is to say, if the slaves who didn't get to vote weren't counted as people at all, Adams would have won. Adams was very, very bitter about what happened. And he blamed Jefferson for uh, acting as a disloyal vice president, uh, paying for the yellow journalists, and who knows, for being a slaveholder. Uh, Adams may have even known more about Jefferson's illegitimate children, fathered by uh, Jefferson with one of his slaves, Sally Henning. But how did Adams address his bitterness? Now, this is the interesting part of the story because Adams sought help. He knew that he was suffering emotionally and he sought the help of a physician, Benjamin Rush, who was one of the founders as well, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, I believe, but certainly regarded as a founding father of the United States. And Benjamin Rush initiated what may be one of the very first examples of psychotherapy. He uh, engaged in a process with John Adams of dream interpretation. And after many years, that election that Adams lost was the election of 1800, the fourth election in the United States of America. And uh, Benjamin Rush worked with Adams. Rush was also an associate of Jefferson very closely. And then uh, it was about in the year 1812, 1813, Benjamin Rush communicated to Thomas Jefferson. He said, you know, let me tell you what John Adams told me about you. He said, I have always loved Jefferson and I still love him today. Now, shortly after that, Benjamin Rush died and Thomas Jefferson reached out to his old revolutionary colleague, John Adams. After all, they were on the same side of the Revolutionary War together, even though they later on became bitter political enemies. Jefferson reached out to Adams and to let him know that their mutual friend, Benjamin Rush, had died. And they initiated a correspondence, I think starting in about 1813, that lasted until their death in 1826. 
They mended their fences. They became very close friends. And their correspondence over those years is quite interesting because it goes into a lot of depth in terms of how they viewed this young republic that they had both helped to give birth to. And so it makes sense to me to think that on the 4th of July in 1826, as both of these men died, that there was a strong bond of love and affection between them. They had overcome the bitter divisions that had separated them. And I'm inclined to think that Jefferson was there waiting on the other side to greet Adams as he passed away to welcome him to <laughs> that world, that mysterious, wonderful world of the afterlife where presumably we exist without these physical bodies and everything is much more intense. Colors are more vivid. And Lord knows what other possibilities exist for the human spirit in what we could think of as the astral plane. But I think the interesting lesson in all of this for us today, especially when politics is so polarized, is to see how Adams and Jefferson were able to reach deep beneath the factional rivalry of the uh, two political parties, uh, neither of one of, of which exists today. We don't have Democratic Republicans or Federalists any longer. Uh, the political uh, lines are drawn very differently today. But the bitterness, the intensity of the uh, division in the United States and elsewhere, I think, around the world between the uh, people who lean to the hard right and people who are moderates or lean to the left and the uh, completely different worldviews that these people seem to hold. Um, Jefferson and Adams demonstrated in their life with the help of the uh, great physician and early psychotherapist Benjamin Rush, who reached out to both of them. It was Rush's goal to see these two gentlemen reconciled with each other. And maybe it took Rush's death for that to accomplish, for that to be accomplished, but that's what happened. So my question is for you, are there people in your life from from whom you feel estranged because of politics, people who you might otherwise admire? What would it take for you to overcome that divisiveness that uh, politics has created to uh, enter into really a loving relationship with an individual whose political views are diametrically opposed to your own? Is that even possible? I can tell you that in my family, <laughs> there are people, and, and we are, as I've mentioned, <laughs> well, I am a lifelong Democrat. My wife is, was once a Republican, but she's probably more of a Democrat today than, than I am. And uh, there are people in my family who don't want to have anything to do 
with those of the other political party. Things have gotten so estranged. And I'm sure if you follow the news right now, you've got one side accusing the other side of murdering babies, and you've got the other side accusing the first side of tearing children away from their parents. It's almost, um, well, it's not almost. It's it, The fact is that it's come down to demonizing you could say that uh, from the perspective of politics, the people on each side of the American political spectrum regard the other side as relatively demonic. How do you reconcile that? How, how is uh, America to achieve unity. Now, I recently heard from a, a viewer who said, well, we don't need to have unity. Sometimes disunity is really what we need. And that's interesting. I have to consider that. I have to think about that. But at the same time, we have, uh, I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. We're very vulnerable to, let's say, influences from Russia uh, or other foreign adversaries when we're divided against ourselves. So I'll ask you once again, what would it take for you to overcome the political polarity that may exist in your life as it does in mine, where you have close people who you were once close with, with whom it's very hard to have a conversation because you're in effect in different silos politically. People see things <laughs> very, very differently. It reminds me of the cartoon where uh, the letter six is, is emblazoned in the ground below and a man standing below it is saying six and a man on the other side looking at the very same letter is saying, no, that's a nine. It's not a six. Can we see things? Can we learn to see things from each other's point of view? Can we accomplish in our lifetime what Jefferson and Adams accomplished in theirs, an overcoming of horrendous political differences. I'll leave you with that thought today and thank you once again for being with me.